blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And blessed be God's family, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ, proclaim to all people the good news of God's salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of His marvelous works who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. As you're being seated, our children are invited to Children's Chapel and on the back with Mr. Alex. before Naaman's wife, she said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would take his skin disease away. So Naaman went in and told his master the girl from the land of Israel had said this 
and this, that Naaman came with his horses and chariot and stood at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him who said, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored, and you shall be unblemished. But Naaman became angry and left, saying, Look here, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of the Most High, his God, who would wave his hand over the spot and take away the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be restored? Then he turned and went away in a rage. But his slaves approached him and said to him, My father, were it a great thing the prophet told you to do, would you not have done it? How much more when what he said to you was, Wash and be restored. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was renewed like the flesh of a little boy, and he was restored. The word of the Lord. Psalm for today is 103. We will read responsibly by the half verse. Bless the fount of wisdom, O my soul. And all bless her holy name. Bless the fount of wisdom, O my soul. And forget not all her benefits. She forgives all your sins. And heals all your she redeems your life from the grave. And crowns you with mercy and loving kindness. She satisfies you with good things. And your youth is renewed like an eagle's. She who is wisdom executes righteousness. And judgment for all who are oppressed. She made her ways known to Miriam and Moses. And her works to the children of Israel. Wisdom's womb is filled of love and faithfulness. Slow to anger and with faithful love. She will not always accuse you. Nor will she your anger forever. She has not dealt with us according to our sins. Nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so may God always As far as the east is from the west, so far has she been our sins from us. As a mother's love for her children flows from her womb, so too does wisdom's love for those who revere her flow from her womb. For she herself knows whereof we are made. She remembers that we are but dust. Our days are like the grass. We flourish like a flower of the field. When the wind goes over it, it is gone. And its place shall be left no more. 
faithful love of she who is wisdom endures forever on those who revere her. And her righteousness on children's children. spiritual gifts, sisters and brothers. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are diversities of ministries, but the same Sovereign. And there are diversities of works, but it is the same God who works all of them in everyone. To each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for mutual good. To one woman or man, through the Spirit is given a word of wisdom, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to yet another working miracles, to another prophecy, to yet another discernment of spirits, to another (laughs) families of tongues, to another the translation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allows to each one individually, just as the Spirit chooses. The Word of the Lord. Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now Jesus returned to the synagogue, and a person was there who had a withered hand. The women and men in the synagogue were watching Jesus carefully to see whether he would cure the person on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Then Jesus said to the person who had the withered hand, Come up to the middle. And Jesus said to the women and men in the synagogue, Is it permissible to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And looking around at them with anger, Jesus was grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the person, Stretch out your hand. 
person stretched it out, and their hand was restored. And then the Pharisees went down with the Herodians and immediately began to conspire against Jesus, how they might destroy him. Then Jesus, with his disciples, departed to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and from Judea, Jerusalem, and Judea, beyond the Jordan, and the region around Tyre and Sidon. Hearing all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat at hand for him because of the crowd of women, children, and men, lest they crush him. For he had cured many, so that as many as had diseases pressed upon him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, when they saw him, they fell down before him and shrieked, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them strongly not to make him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I share a story about this gospel that I was actually shared here on Tuesday night and uh, between the cold weather and the time of day um, was not as widely available as we'd hoped, right? Nobody picks when it's going to freeze in Texas. Um, let me share this story about a hand being opened and then uh, we want to talk about some problems with it too. So on Tuesday night, uh, Rabbi uh, Eitan Krul from congregation Shar HaShalom came and shared a little bit about his experience with Judaism. And again, cold weather kept some of us away. The other thing that was a little difficult is that English is his third language. He's an Israeli citizen who also, his second language is Arabic. Actually, English is his fourth language. His third is Afrikaans. So he had, he was literally translating his head from Hebrew um, into Arabic and then into English. It wasn't super direct. So it's a little bit Translated in real time. I hope you know what I'm talking about. And came out the gate and shared something that was extremely vulnerable and lovely that you need to hear, even if you weren't here. Uh, rabbi Atan shared with us how it is he became a rabbi. He was an Israeli citizen, well, still is, and his career was dedicated to being a dance instructor. So he taught dance for a long time, and then there was something missing in his life. By the way, he's an openly gay man. And so the thing that was missing, he thought, was to have a child and care for and raise a child. And so um, he became a, he enlisted a surrogate in the United States. I paid for the surrogacy. The child was born here. The child's name is Dovir which is the Hebrew word for the geography inside the temple where the ark resides, the Holy of Holies. And if you ever had a child, I think you'd get it. His child was the Holy of Holies. And because of that holy presence in his life, this child, that was his call to the rabbinate because he needed to raise his child within the structure and all of Judaism that he felt that desperately wanted. So he quit dancing, well, for hire, and 
went to seminary, which takes four years if you're Jewish. We do it in three. And um, at the end of that, uh, he became a rabbi, and the question is then when and how would he serve? He spoke so frequently about doing this for his son. I don't know if you know about Judaism. There's several sects of Judaism like there are in Christianity, but fewer probably than we have. And so in Israel, he laid out the landscape that there's the Orthodox community, which is the largest community in Israel. He couldn't be Orthodox as a rabbi because he'd have to teach his son that his father was a sinner for being gay. His other option in Israel was to be for his own story was to be reform. And his problem with reform Judaism in Israel is that it's not tied to the Torah. Reform Jews in general consider the Torah a human product, and so if there's a social element they don't like, then they just deviate from it. So what he needed was the conservative Jewish background that is not large in Israel. It exists in the United States because he wanted to tie Lifestyle is such an unfortunate word. He wanted to tie his identity to God's revealed word in the Torah and not have to resist it. He wanted to pin it down through the words of the Torah so he came here so that he could stretch out his hand in the presence of the congregation and be renewed. This is a good hearing of the story because there's nothing wrong with Rabbi Kuhn. His hand is not withered. He was told it was. In the Orthodox community, he is derelict. And so he became an immigrant so that he could stretch out his unwithered hand, that is his identity and his child, with his community. A heart-touching story. That's what he started with with a group of strangers, and he told us he was afraid to come. He was afraid to share, not because we're Christian and he's Jew, but because that's his life. Okay, on to the situation that this starts to unwind in my mind, and I'm going to apologize in advance because I don't have an exact answer for you, but I've got a problem today. been a moving problem with how it is we interpret these texts and how we're meant to read them. It showed up for me this week. You know, sometimes you scroll through things. I was sort of scrolling on a social media post, and I don't usually pay attention to this, but there was somebody who had posed a group in Episcopalians on Facebook. The question said, if someone has Down syndrome on earth, what will happen to them in heaven? you to consider that just for a second. Sadly, what I've often been told is there won't be Down syndrome in heaven. That's the Christianity that raised me. 
can I say that? Because there's nothing wrong with having 47 chromosomes. There's nothing sinful or debilitating about being born the way you were born. And if we start to imagine a world in which we don't get to be who God made us to be, then what we essentially are saying is that people with Down syndrome are not whole people. I want you to pause and think about that. Is there something wrong with not being normal? Yesterday I had a conversation with a friend who has a disability and has pursued disability studies and disability theology. We read a book together called Prophetic Disability. We were hoping it would do something it did not. So we talked about this, and uh, I was very fortunate to learn that the opposite of being disabled is not being able. The opposite of being disabled is being enabled. That's interesting to think about, isn't it? Disability is a word I'm a little bit scared to use. It sounds pejorative, although the disabled community takes that word for themselves. Right? Not having the sense of hearing is a disability. a withered hand is a disability, but I think here's the question when we hear stories like we heard today. Is there anything wrong with having a withered hand? The reason I think we have to phrase the question that way is because having hands that look like mine it's not only the social norm, it's become the theological norm. And our hymnal is saturated with hymns that talk about palsied limbs being made whole. As if a person with palsy is not whole. If you're not whole, you can't be holy. This is dangerous theology. Dangerous. story today could be quite dangerous, especially if we take it at face value, because here's the truth. If you've got a withered hand, I'm not praying for God to fix it. I can't do it. It won't work. And if you grew up with a disability in church, it's very possible that you were told that if you prayed enough or if you believed enough, God would fix you because there's something wrong with being disabled. <laughs> We can fool ourselves into saying we don't think that way and we're lying if we say that. We have made normalcy and perfection God speak to our detriment. So what happens to a child who grows up in church and hears miracle stories that God will do that for them and it doesn't happen? Well, in the case of my friend yesterday, it's just really hard to go to church. It's really hard because every time you go in, you're saying, I didn't believe enough. Or there's something flawed in me that God will ultimately fix when I go to heaven. I won't have a club foot anymore. This story is really hard 
Because Jesus doesn't ask that person whether they want their hand stretched out. Did you notice that? Jesus brings this person up and just sort of does it. And as I think about this story, the question is, what's the real change here? Undoubtedly, the people in the community thought that there was something, well, not quite right with this person who had a withered hand. Maybe they sinned, or maybe their parents did, or just God bless them. It must be hard not to be normally able. So God have pity on them. In the end, Jesus fixes the perceived problem physically fixes the perceived problem. Maybe this is so the rest of the community won't continue to discriminate against that person. And isn't it interesting to think that it might be easier for God to physically do something to a hand than to change our hearts? It might be easier for God to work a physical miracle than God to overturn our prejudice. That's a scary, indicting thought, isn't it? It's probably true. And there's this story about Naaman. Lest this is lost on you, the Arameans are not like the Israelites. They're a different country. They're often at war with each other. This is a story about Erwin Rommel. This is the desert fox, Naaman. Yes, the analogy holds, right? He was a Nazi. He was fighting Jewish people. That's Naaman. He's got a problem. He's got a skin disease. Often this gets translated leprosy. We don't know if that means Hansen's disease or this means some insidious, incurable thing like MRSA. We don't know where it is. He goes to Elisha for healing, and we cut out part of the story. Elisha, it's not that... God tells him not to talk to Naaman. He just refuses to. And he says, here are the instructions. Go take a bath in the Jordan River. Anybody else been to the Jordan? Looks like clear lake. (laughs) Not very clear. Muddy. Dirty. And he tells him to wash, which seems really nice. It's like prefiguring baptism. It seems really sweet, except in order to do it, you've got to take your clothes off. This is not about vulnerability. This is about exposure. He tells Naaman, expose yourself in enemy territory. Expose yourself so we can see you're sick and malformed and dying. It makes me want to cry too. I mean, it's really difficult framed that way. Like, it just doesn't seem compassionate or right. I understand it's effective, but at what cost? At the cost of his dignity? concerning to me. It's concerning. And I don't get to rewrite the gospel, but I just sort of wish that Jesus healed everybody else in the synagogue before asking the person if that's what they wanted. Healed everybody else in the synagogue that probably includes you and me, if we're honest of our prejudice against people who don't present as normal. It's true that if you live long enough, you will have a disability. This is true. 
If men live long enough, they will probably have prostate cancer. This is, this is the evidence. If women live long enough, they will probably have breast cancer. There's this confused understanding out there that your highest risk as a woman for breast cancer is in your 30s and 40s. It is patently false. Your risk goes up every year. Your highest risk is next year. To be clear, some of us contract disabilities because we overuse our athleticism because we get injuries. Some of us contract diabetes. This happens to us. It is likely in your future some disability. And I think the question's going to be when that's you. It's already been me in some ways. Sure, some are easier to live with than others. We all know that. Some are easier to live with than others. But it is our future. Is that God's judgment or is that the way bodies are made? Do we give people with disabilities dignity when we treat them right? No, we don't. Dignity is not ours to give. God has already given it. You give no one dignity. You either recognize it or you don't. I give no one dignity. The homeless person lying in a gutter is fully dignified by God's embodiment and the Holy Spirit. And if I don't recognize it, that's on me, that's not on God. So what do I wish happened? I wish Jesus said, do you want your frizzy hair to be straightened? And I wish I said, not anymore. Because that's who you made me to be, God. Do you want that birthmark that you have concealed carefully to be taken away? Nope. Because then I wouldn't be myself I know this sounds really weird because, hey, if you're schizophrenic, wouldn't you like to not be schizophrenic? I don't know, but I know that if Vincent Van Gogh weren't schizophrenic, we probably wouldn't be looking at his art. Some of our disabilities, frankly, are just really, really inconvenient to live with, and that doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they're less And this is why I think the lectionary has given us this text that God has given us different gifts. Sometimes those gifts are so lovely that they're really inconvenient. Sometimes those gifts, out of their inconvenience, can give us insight into where God is to be found. I don't ask for my gifts, I get them. You didn't ask for your gifts, you get them. Maybe the greatest gift of all is that God has chosen to be fully pregnant, present, and dignified in every manifestation of humanity, whether it is 47 chromosomes or type 1 diabetes. I didn't mean that we celebrate when somebody has cancer and say, look, that's God's gift. I just remind you, 
we try to help people not to give them dignity, but because they already have it. And that when we see something that wants us, oh, our reaction is to have pity. That must be so hard. Perhaps we could frame the question, tell me about where God is in your life. Because I'd like to actually know instead of deciding God isn't in your life. Style, gay orientation, points at something that is not normal. We are scared of abnormalcy in ourselves, but God isn't. God isn't. And language is a clunky thing. It's what we have, but boy, we can do better. We can do better, don't you think? That's why I'm really glad we're using the women's lectionary for the whole year, because it's maybe the first time in church you've heard God referred to in the feminine gender. I'm super thrilled and delighted that nobody has, like, sent me hate mail for doing this. I mean, I'm actually really surprised, though. I thought people would say to me, why are we doing that? We're doing that because God created male and female in God's own image, which means one gender doesn't quite work, does it? doing it because there's people in our community who are genderqueer. They also are God's image and likeness. There's not something wrong with them. They're not abnormal. They have God's full dignity and likeness in them. And if we can't see it, it's on us. It's not on God. And yes, I sing the hymns and I change the words. (laughs) I don't do it with the microphone on. But I do not refer to God in the masculine gender. I refer to God in the third person. Pretty much always. It's a delight to hear God in the feminine. And there's an opportunity when we sing hymns to say, palsy limbs are already holy. Palsy people are already whole with a W. They're already whole. There is whole is you and I are. Heading the hymnal is a ministry of lay people, of deacons, of priests and bishops. Editing the language of our faith is a ministry of lay people, of deacons, priests, and sometimes even bishops get to do it. Editing the way we see God's dignity in what for us is often the most challenging places, whether those be in ourselves, our immediate family, or people on the TV, is a ministry of laity, of deacons, of priests, and with God's help, of bishops too. This is the work we are called to do.
please join me as we pray our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father of all life, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten of God, and the one came with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under conscious violence. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. The prayers of the people. Let us lift our hearts to the one who calls us, saying, We call to you, O Lord, and we are listening. We pray for the church, that the hearts of the leaders and those who are led be turned toward you. Call us to support your work in the world through the church. We pray for Sheldon, our presiding bishop, Andy, Hector, Jeff and Kay, our bishops, and Mike. Our priest. We call to you, O Lord, and we We pray for those who govern the nations of the world, that their leadership be wise and compassionate. Call us to informed and cooperative citizenship. We pray for Joe, our president, Greg, our governor, the Congress, and courts of the land. We call to you, O Lord, and we are we pray for people in every corner of the world, especially for those who lack adequate food, shelter, and hope. Call us to compassionate action. We pray for those that have suffered natural devastation, effects of war, or plague. We call to you, O Lord, and we are listening. We pray for those close to our hearts who suffer from illness, anxiety, who face challenges and transitions who struggle with your will in their lives. We pray today for those on our parish prayer list. We call to you, O Lord, and we are We pray for those who will be born on this day, that they will be embraced by loving communities. We pray for those who are dying, and those who now rest in your eternal embrace. Are there those you wish to name? Loving God, 
we call God to you, and we are listening. Let us confess our sin against God and our neighbor. God of all mercy, we confess that we have sinned against you, opposing your will in our lives. We have denied your goodness to each other, in ourselves, and in the world you have created. We repent of the evil that excites us, the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. Forgive, restore, and strengthen us through our Savior Jesus Christ, that we may abide in your love the Almighty and compassionate Lord grant you absolution and remission of all your sin, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace of the Lord be always with you.
we are going to be the guests at the Bay Area Unitarian Universalist Church. So we're meeting there, not here, from 6 to 7. And Reverend Katie will give us a tour of their facilities, talk about what it means to be a Unitarian, talk about some of the practices, and frankly, why she's a Unitarian minister. So we're meeting there so they can show us how they do it. Um, Tuesday is an opportunity at the Cinemark in Webster. There's a film that is made off the presiding bishop. By the way, did you hear that we're praying for the presiding bishop, Sheldon? He's not the presiding bishop. Michael Curry is the presiding bishop. Sheldon is standing in for him because he's sick. And so, so Sheldon's kind of a placeholder while Michael Curry recovers from another surgery. He's had a tough year. Anyway, Michael Curry has taught a series called A Case for Love, and they've made a documentary out of that. They'll be showing it at the Cinemark at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, just those two times, Tuesday only. I'm going at 4. Uh, there's still, I think, some seats available, and... It's just an opportunity. I didn't know the Episcopal Church made movies, and they do. So, uh, we'll see what kind of movies they make. Uh, Wednesday. This is down in Galveston, so it's a bit of a drive. Uh, there's an interfaith gathering in Galveston that has uh, speakers from different faiths talking about their own faith commitment to justice, particularly in light of the conflicts that are happening in Ukraine, in the West Bank, in Gaza, and elsewhere. Um, you can register for this online. There's still room, and they'll provide lunch. I think it goes from about 9 to 3. You'll get to hear from uh, an Islamic scholar, from a Sikh, S-I-K-H. We usually pronounce that word Sikh because it sounds Sikh. We don't like that word in English, but it is pronounced Sikh. S-I-K-H is pronounced Sikh even though we say Sikh. So there'll be a Sikh there. Uh, there'll be an Islamic scholar who teaches at U of H. And there'll be a, a, a Catholic priest. The Galveston rabbi will be there. And I'll be the keynote speaker through hook and crook. Uh, so that's this coming uh, Wednesday down in Galveston at the Lutheran Church from 9 to about 3. Um, just a reminder for you that we are still taking uh, RSVPs for the Pipe Organ Gala on February the 16th. It'll be at the Bay Oaks Country Club. We're taking RSVPs through February 1st. So that's like 10 more days we've got to register. And once we get registered, you'll get the menu choice. I can tell you in advance, it's fish or chicken. Um, and uh, so we'll get that to you, but we're, we're taking this through February 1st. Um, bit is that normally we have a Wednesday class. This time, the Wednesday morning class is on world religions. Obviously, we won't have that this Wednesday because we'll be down at Galveston. We, the Royal We will be at Galveston. I teach the class. So, it's, it's this Wednesday at Galveston. Next Wednesday, we're going to start learning about Islam. Keep in mind that that's like one-sixth of the world. And um, many of us did not have the opportunity in high school to even learn what the five pillars are. So if, if you don't know what those are, this might be an opportunity for you to learn about, well, like one-sixth of the world. Um, so we do that Wednesdays from 9 to about 10.15. We do record those because we know people have commitments, but that will start next Wednesday, our study of Islam, from 9 to, to 15. Continue to walk in love. As Christ first loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God. <laughs>
just come at you, O Lord, of your own have we given you. This is the table, not of the church, but of Jesus Christ. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more, so come. You who have much faith and you who have faith. You who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time or ever before. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Not because the church invites you, it is Christ. And he invites you to meet him here. Our service continues on page 361 of your red prayer book. Page 361. Father, in your infinite love, you made us from yourself. When we fall into sin and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. He stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself, in obedience to your will, a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. On the night he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he gave given thanks to you, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup of wine. And when he 
given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the renewed covenant, which is shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of sin. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer to you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people, the body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. And sanctify us also, that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity and constancy and peace. And the last day, bring us with all your saints into the joy of your eternal kingdom. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let's keep the feast. Hallelujah. These are the gifts of God for you. The gifts of God. Behold who you are and become what you receive.
Let's pray together. God of creation, God of provider, we give thanks for that nourishment to both our souls and bodies. 
We thank you that in your wisdom you have entrusted the earth into our stewardship and have allowed the soil from which we came to produce fruits and abundance. We thank you, dear God, for the sacrament of your presence at the time of need. Amen. Today's blessing is from poet Jan Richardson. If you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it. Might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place you know not. Call it one of the mercies of the road, but we see it only by stages as it opens before us, as it comes into our keeping step by single step. There is nothing for it but to go, and by our going take the vows the pilgrim takes. Be faithful to the next step, to rely on more than the map, to heed the signposts of intuition and dream, to follow the star that only you will recognize, to keep an open eye for the wonders that attend the path, to press on beyond distractions, beyond fatigue, beyond what would tempt you from the way. There are vows that only you will know. The secret promises for your particular path and the new ones you will need to make when the road is revealed by turns you could not have foreseen. Keep them, break them, make them again. Each promise becomes part of the path. Each choice creates the road that will take you to the place where at last you will kneel to offer the gift most needed, the gift that only you can give, before turning to go home by another way. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you this day and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.
Alleluia, Alleluia. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.